Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello there, Cove Church. So great to be with you today. I hope you had an incredible week, and it's great to spend this time with you. I was um, considering this thought to to begin with today. I know everyone's faith journey is different. Um, And and certainly for all of us, our our journeys are not linear. They're they're imperfect. They're steps forward, steps backward in our journey of faith. And, And knowing that, it is likely that somewhere along our journey of faith, we will experience times of doubt. Um, you know, those questions, is, is this true? Am I on the right path? Am I really more than the product of just some cosmic accident out there? And when I in my life have encountered those kinds of questions, the grounding thing for me has always been in the question that Jesus asked Simon, who do you say I am? See, that's what always brings me back amidst my doubt, the person of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. Yes, there's so much that I don't understand about the world, about the universe, about myself. But the person of Jesus who lived, who taught, who who gave his life to rise again on the third day, it's knowing that person walked the earth, an event so well documented that no ethical scholar could ever question its validity. That being the case, if Jesus is who the scripture shows him to be, then every other truth follows after that one. I get to seek understanding through what Jesus said about the world, about humanity, about heaven, about everything. And in all of that, it can start to bring a sense of peace to my doubt. Because to me, the inescapable truth always is Jesus. Without Jesus, my beliefs could go all over the place. But with Jesus, suddenly things start to get clear. When it all boils down, my faith hinges on the truth of the living Christ. And when my hope begins to wane, and when it feels like my good future might be slipping away, the invitation of Jesus is always to return to the hope that is found in him. A hope that we should take care to never lose. See, there's a lot of things we can lose in this life. We can lose our our keys. We can lose our phone. We can lose our marbles. But hope at times is the most adept at slipping away and the most damaging to us when it's gone. And I think if there's a time when hope can feel rare, fragile, complex, it's the times we live in. Yet God offers to bring us out of that despair that we so easily can slip into. And God wants to offer to us a hope that rises above the ocean of confusion and speaks peace to the waves of doubt. God wants to offer to us a living hope. And it's that living hope we talk about today as we engage our second message in this Fathom series, where we together will lean into what is known in the big churchy word is Christology, the study of Christ. But more than knowing about Jesus, it is our quest to know Jesus and discover the truth of Christ's love for us. 
And that is found in the understanding of this amazing gift that Jesus offers to us, this gift of hope. And the first thing I would point out about that gift is this. In the person of Christ, we fathom God's hope. Let's look at the passage. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Let's read it together right where you are. Big voices, go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I love the richness of this passage describing a birth into a, a living hope, an inheritance that can never diminish, never disappoint, never disappear. That's possible when we realize that Jesus is two things, fully God and fully man. Both of those things are true. This is what gives our hope substance. I mean, starting to think about the birth of Christ, right? A real human birth, painful, messy. This one involved smelly livestock and even smellier shepherds. It was a mess, okay? This was the deep end of the pool regarding broken humanity, and that's exactly where Jesus was. Jesus was born into that. So that's the humanity, but it was also divine. His conception, miraculous. His birth, heralded for centuries prior. Then look at the life of Jesus. Humanity, in his humanity, he taught, and he, he made friends, and he grieved when people were hurting, and he got angry when people were hurting others. But also there was his divinity. He did miracles. He received worship. He invited us to a heavenly kingdom that he had actually lived in. Then, of course, we see his humanity in his death on the cross, crying out in desperation and pain, but also his deity. Forgive them. They don't know what they do absorbing all of humanity's sin and shame, letting the thief know, today you'll be with me in paradise. Who could do that but God? And finally, once again, we see both the human and the divine in his resurrection. Only God can rise again. But the resurrected Jesus also had a meal with his friends and, and invites them to touch his hand and touch his side, physical, human and then ascending to sit at the right hand, but now praying for us at God's right hand, his humanity informing his prayers. This is the nature of Christ, and the author of this passage describes coming into that truth, getting that truth as this birth into a living hope, a second birth, a rebirth into the life of Christ, a rebirth that is found in relationship with him. I mean, that is some image, right? I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've been around births. I've been around two, the birth of both of my sons. With Ethan, Paula was in, in labor for 20-some for hours, a long, long time, in heavy labor. And so she got an epidural late. And, and the epidural guy walked in and, and put in the epidural. And, and when that stuff took an effect, because she was in great pain, but when it finally hit, she looked at that guy with a look of love that made me nervous. Like, wow, <laughs> she's really liking that guy right now. Because in that moment, her hope was found in a person, a person who could deal with the pain. The hope that God offers is like that, but it's so much greater. 
because it's not a temporary hope. It's a permanent, eternal hope. It's not found in an event. It's not found in our effort. It's found in a person, and his name is Jesus, a person who promises to be closer than a brother, a person who will never change. And I think we need a person like that in the days we live. So we see this passage illustrating our hope as a challenging process of labor with all of its struggle and strife, leading us to be born again into a hope that is found in the living Christ, which means this, because our hope is found in a person, our hope must become personal. What we must remember is that while Jesus offers eternal life to the whole world, that life must be received by an individual, a person, saying, yes, I want this life. I want this relationship with God for myself. I say that to Jesus. I think it's so surprising and sad that Jesus says to all of us, come to me, every one of you who labor, and I will give you rest. Yet many of us say, no, nah, I'm just going to keep on laboring. I'm just going to keep on, on carrying this weight. I mean, can you imagine days or weeks or years of labor when it comes to childbirth? Let's just keep laboring. But for some of us, it's like that regarding our hope in Christ. We say we trust Christ, but we keep carrying our own burdens. We carry in, in our pack all of our failures and all of our religious attempts and all of our tarnished trophies and all of our lost dreams. And then we say, I'm just going to keep dragging that around with me. I'm going to keep worrying. I'm going to keep striving. I'm going to keep trying to do this on my own. I'm going to keep laboring. No wonder you're tired. No wonder you want to give up. Yet Jesus invites us to a single action in a complicated world. Come close to me. Come to me. Jesus wants to be your enough. Jesus is saying, would you let this relationship define all that you are and direct all that you do? It's personal. It has to be personal. We're not born into it like, like, like it's not like a benefit of American citizenship. It's not even breathed into us like a virus. It's a choice. Knowing that Jesus wants to be close to me, will I decide to draw close to Jesus? In the person of Christ, we fathom God's hope. It's the first thing. Here's the second. In the promise of Christ, we fathom God's hope. Let's continue the passage. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to re be revealed in the last time. There's some amazing promises being talked about here. The first being this inheritance of eternal life with Christ. It's that it's being kept for you, right? It's being put away for you. It's on layaway for us. It's paid for, but we haven't taken delivery of it yet. I think of one of the new post-COVID realities in certain industries is how long it takes to get things. In fact, there's some items that we purchased a year ago for our sound system upgrades, and uh, we're waiting for those items, and now the latest report is we're not gonna get them till July. 
is like a year and a half from order. We've purchased those items. We don't get them until then. It's paid for, but we don't take possession until later. This is the nature of the promise of Christ, fully paid by Christ, yet not yet fully experienced by us. We get glimpses, yes, of the promise, but it's not complete, is it? And then it says, this passage, that this inheritance is being kept for those who through faith are shielded by God's power until he comes. Now that is some promise. I mean, it's the promise that we sing about in the song, My Testimony, where there's a line there that says, if God's not dead, then I'm not done. We're still here, that right here in the midst of our world that is consumed with fear and uncertainty, where we're grasping at straws to try to unravel the mysteries and the challenges ahead, right there, we cling to a greater promise. That as long as I'm still here, God, you still have a plan for me. The truth for every person is that our fate is ultimately found in the hands of God. Psalm 139 speaks of it. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows the number of your days. God knows the number of my days. Now, what that doesn't mean is we just act unwisely. Like, well, that's the case, I can do anything. I'll just throw myself off a cliff, and if it's not my day, then I'll be fine, right? Well, no, I don't, that's not a very safe way to live, not a very wise way to live. In fact, I saw a guy on a bike just a few days ago. I'm, I'm, I'm at a stoplight, stoplight, full traffic, heavy traffic, and cars are coming across because I'm at the red light. And at this red light, I saw a guy on a bike just go straight on through the whole red light. Three lanes of traffic, people honking. He's just straight on through with the bike, didn't even care. I'm like, man, that is a very risky way to live. I mean, Satan tempted Jesus with that one, right? Go ahead, throw yourself off of this. It'll be fine, right? Because you're God, right? And Jesus wouldn't do it. So why do we think we should? We need a new bracelet out there. What would Jesus not do? That's what it should say. And he wouldn't do that. Showing us that, that we shouldn't test God and just do stupid things in order to test God because even if it's not our day to die, we would still be stupid. So we must live wisely. But here's the other side of that. We do not have to live in fear. Okay? We don't have to live in fear. Our world wants us to be so worried about dying that we forget what it is to live, to be alive with Christ, that we end up missing all the beautiful things that God puts in place to connect us and to inspire us and to remind us of God's love. That's the part we must not lose. We must not allow the uncertainty of our circumstance to drive us to an uncertainty in our God. God is still on the throne. And God's promise is that as part of our relationship with God, we will be shielded by God's power. Protected, right? Not from suffering, not from pain. No, instead, the truth is this. We are shielded by God's power in order to bring us to God's promise. That's always God's goal. Not our present comfort, but our future home, eternity. That's what God wants. 
And God will even use the pain of this life in order to ensure that we are able to experience eternal life. When I was a kid, we would go once a year in the summertime on these yearly bike rides to Smith Rock. Uh, Smith Rock is these big rocky places where mountain climbers go. It's a state park near Redmond. Not close enough because it's a pretty long bike ride from where we were. And so we would, us and another family every year would go on this bike ride and I'd have a dirt bike, no gears, summertime, it's 100 degrees, right? We never left early, so it's always the heat of the day. You know, I'm, you know, I'm like 10 years old, tube socks, tiny shorts. Uh, we didn't believe in water back then. No one ever had water with them. Cattle trucks are driving by because part of it's on the highway. It's scary. We would do this whole bike ride. We did it. Sweaty, dirty, frightened. <laughs> but at the end, the promise was huckleberry ice cream at this market by the state park. Now, if you've not figured it out, I will do just about anything for ice cream. That promise for me was powerful enough to agree to endure the suffering, endure the pain, endure the discomfort, endure the danger, because I knew what was waiting for me on the other side. When you boil it down, Christ's followers are a people of a promise. And God's promise is that if we will lean on him, even in the trials, even amidst our own brokenness, God will get us where we need to go. We won't miss it. Because God wants eternal life for us even more than we do. So that's where we get to place our hope. In the promise of Christ, we fathom God's hope. That's the second thing here is the last thing. In the process of Christ, we fathom God's hope. Let's finish out the passage. Big voices go. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of Greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It says we'll suffer grief and many kinds of trials. I mean, isn't that an encouraging promise, right? Thanks for that one. God, suffer grief and many kinds of trials. Not just trials, but, but lots of different kinds of trials. You know, life is going to be like the, the Mongolian buffet of trials. You know, do I go with veggies or no veggies? Is there brown rice or white rice or no rice? Do I do a special sauce, spicy sauce? So many possible trial combinations, and we're going to experience a bunch of them. Yet we see that those trials are intended to produce something. It is a process. It's God's way of changing us. And I think for many of us, when it comes to change, we like the idea of translation. Meaning, I immediately move from here to there. Just translate me there. Just Cinderella me. Just bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. I'm there. I'm ready for the ball. I've got a nice dress. I've got great shoes. You know what I mean, that's what I'm getting at, just immediate, right? Yet God often doesn't use translation on us. 
Although God has at times done so in Scripture, God has at times just poofed people from one place to another. But more often in Scripture, instead of seeing translation, we see transformation. We see a process. God, yes, will get us from A to Z, but there's a bunch of letters in between that we've got to get to first. And it's often those letters in between that trip us up. Like anyone... um, I enjoy presents, enjoy getting presents and thoughtful gifts and new things added to my life. But there's one thing, if I receive a gift, there are three words that can give me great pause on any item and and even to consider perhaps I should send this gift back. And those three words are these, some assembly required. For me, that's not good. And when I read that, I'm scared instead of excited most of the time. But here's the thing, folks. Our lives come with a label that says some assembly requires. The life that God has for us, the life that God intends for us comes with a label, some assembly required. Whatever we're supposed to be, there is likely a process to get there. And like me, I could reject that process or I could fear the process or I could be confused by the process Or I could open up the directions that God has given me and start with figure A, step one, begin. And in that, I would discover my purpose, one step of obedience at a time. And it's that process that ultimately reveals who we are. It reveals our confusion and replaces it with clarity. Now, if you go back to the assembly metaphor, I can't tell you how many times I have assembled something. I've gotten to the end only to realize that that I've skipped a really important step somewhere along the way and I've had to disassemble the entire thing, tear it all apart so that I could build it again the right way. Welcome to the process of discipleship. It's like that. Tearing down strongholds of lies, replacing them with foundations of truth. It's messy. It takes longer than we think it should. And there are days when we just want to fast forward. But God builds us in that process. That's the imagery of this passage. It's imagery of gold being refined. That process is violent, right? For that to happen, the ore has to be heated up to nearly 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit, right? And it boils out the impurities and the dross. Those are all scraped off. That process is repeated multiple times until ultimately the master of the forge can see their face reflected in the metal. God says, I want to do that with your life. That you would go through a process, heated, painful, so that ultimately God can see his reflection in us. This is how God makes us who we're supposed to be. So, we can either run from that crucible and stay the same. Or we can run into that fire, knowing that God will be with us there. And that in that place, we will be changed. If you embrace Jesus in whatever crucible you are in today, 
You can trust the promise that is found in the book of Philippians, that the God who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He will finish this because in the process of Christ, we fathom God's hope. I'll wrap up with this. A man approached a, a little league baseball game as he was walking by, and so he asked a boy in the dugout, what's the score? What's going on with the game? And the boy responded, 18 to nothing, we're behind. <laughs> and and the, the spectator said to the boy, I, I bet you must be kind of discouraged by that score, right? And the little boy's response was, why should we be discouraged? We haven't gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> there are seasons of life where we can feel like we're down 18 to nothing. But the promise of Scripture is that no matter how dark the day seems to be, we can always experience the light of Christ. That's who we hold on to. Jesus is always offering to us another time at bat another chance. And that truth should lead us to love Jesus even more. Because in Jesus, we have this opportunity to fathom, to understand God's hope, to experience it, to know it's real. That comes through the person and the promise and the process of Christ. So, my encouragement today, simply, Get close to Jesus. Grow in love for Jesus. You may feel in your life right now that you're like that gold being refined, perhaps even wondering, will this heat be too much for me? Let the heat make you better, not bitter. Let it reveal the areas that needed to, to, to work anyway, to work its way to the surface that you too could reflect Jesus to a world that desperately needs to see what he looks like. That is the hope of what Christ wants to do and what Christ can do. And that is the hope that Jesus invites you to today. It is a living hope. So friend, my encouragement, let the living hope live in you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.